The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Good morning. Our description reading today is from um, the book of Luke, chapter 21, verses 34 to 38. But watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But to stay awake at all the times, praying that you may have strength to escape all, the th all these things that are going to take place, and to stand before the Son of Man." And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out to the, and lodged on the mount called Olivet, and early in the morning all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. This is the word of the Lord. All right, great to be with you. Uh, I got a few things I want to bring to your attention before we get started. Number one, uh, we've been thinking about how we can help the poor more effectively, more with more wisdom here at Fountain of Life. So this fall, we're going to start a seminar called When Helping Hurts. And uh, there's a video-based small group um, interaction, really good stuff on understanding poverty, how to, how to alleviate it uh, around you. And so uh, if you'd like to join us for that, you're all welcome. It's going to be kind of every other Saturday starting, I think, September 14th. There's a poster in the foyer with all the dates and info on it. But I need you to sign up so I can get you a workbook if you want to join us for that. So when helping hurt seminar, another one. Two weeks, we're going to start the book of Philippians, which I'm really excited about. The theme there is tenacious joy. Uh, and I need that joy. And uh, just so you can have that sink in in your life, I want to invite you to try to sign up for a growth group. There's a lot of varieties for this, but growth groups are going to be small groups where you can take what we've learned from the passage on Sundays and try to sink it into our hearts and our minds as we fellowship on it together. So when helping hurts, growth groups. One more thing to add. A, good, a friend of ours named Ingrid Allen had to be away from church for month after month after month had to have hip surgery. We never thought it would happen. Didn't think she'd ever be able to get out again. Well, guess who is with us here this morning? Let's give her a hand. We're so glad you're here. Look, she's standing up. Wow. That's awesome. What an answer to prayer. And I want to thank Ken and Sally for all their love for Ingrid and the way they've served them. All right, let's pray. We'll get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And um, Lord Jesus, you're going to give people you love a, a strong warning in this passage, and we pray that um, we would hear your warning for us. Help me to teach this faithfully, clearly, accurately, that more than anything I do, Holy Spirit, we just ask you to teach us this word and make it true and real in our lives, our experience, our minds, our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> So Jesus in this passage is going to say, watch out, be careful. I was thinking about those words, and I realized that from the day I was born to when I had kids, I may have said those phrases 10 times ever, if at all. And then from the day I had kids until now, I've probably said them 10,000 times. Watch out, be careful. 
Well, if you have kids or you can imagine having kids, why do we say that? Well, number one, there's dangers out there looming. Number two, we love them. There's dangers and we love them. We're continuing our study through the Gospel of Luke, and this is exactly what Jesus says to his disciples. Watch out. Be careful. In fact, there's one thing Jesus particularly warns all of us, all of his people, to watch very carefully. And I don't think it's too strong to say that it's probably the most important thing you can ever do. Watch out. Be careful. What are some things you watch carefully in your life? Um, If you have a toddler and you go swimming, you'll be watching carefully. Um, Maybe it's your stocks or retirement and you're watching it. Uh, Maybe it's your social media, your fantasy football team, your weight, your grades, your career. We watch these things. Maybe it's current events. Maybe you feel overwhelmed by the politics and whether it's going good or or ill. Maybe it's troubles with the environment. There's a lot of things that we watch very carefully. Some of them, we should watch them carefully. They're important. But Jesus wants you to focus on something deeper than any of that in this text today. There's something he wants you to watch with all your carefulness, and it's not something outside of you. It's not something someone else does. It's inside of you. It is you. Look at verse 34. But watch yourselves, lest your, what? Hearts be weighed down. What's Jesus want you to watch? Your heart. Watch your heart. Well, why? Watch out for what? It's going to directly connect with what we studied last week. Uh, For those of you who are here, we we saw it, and we were in tumultuous times as we await the return of Jesus. You know, I didn't have anybody debate with me last week. No, there's no tumultuous times. (laughs) We all agree that times are tumultuous as we await the return of Jesus. Jesus now wants to land on the reality that those tumultuous times will have an influence on your heart. You hear that? Tumultuous times will have an influence on your heart, so you need to watch out. Here are our four points today. Number one, the guarantee. Here's what's coming that's going to help us connect our passage today with what we saw last week. The guarantee. Jesus makes a guarantee. Number two, the danger. Here's what's to watch out for. So the guarantee, the danger. Number three, the guidance. Here's what you need to do. Number four, the gift. Here's what you need to enjoy. The guarantee, the danger, the guidance the gift. Let's see the guarantee. There's three guarantees Jesus made in our passage that we studied last week. Do you notice how last week the passage was this long? And today the passage is this long? Okay. We're doing the conclusion to the passage. Uh, just a little background. Three guarantees Jesus made his disciples. Number one, you remember they were sitting in the temple and his disciples said, look at these great stones. And Jesus made a guarantee. He said to them, within your generation, it's coming down in judgment. An amazing thing for him to say. It would have been hard for them to imagine. But he promised stone will be torn from stone and it would happen in their generation. And he said, when you see the armies surrounding Jerusalem and the temple, get out. Get out. Don't come because I guarantee you it's coming down. And friends, we know from extra biblical sources that is exactly what happened in 70 A.D., 
Jesus made a guarantee, and his guarantee came true. Look back with me, will you, at Luke 21, 33, kind of the anchor of this passage. Luke 21, 33, what did Jesus say? Heaven and earth will pass away, but what? My words will not pass away. So let's get rid of the idea that Jesus is just a good teacher. Let's get rid of that idea. Do you hear what he's saying? His words last longer than the created order. Incredible. Incredible. And we can trust it, can't we? And those, uh, we, we know many Christians trusted Jesus' word, and as the Roman army came around Jerusalem, they left, and they escaped the carnage. That was one guarantee. There was a second guarantee in our passage from last week. If you're curious about the, if you're curious about the details, uh, listen in on the website. It'll take you about a week to listen to that sermon. But here's the second guarantee Jesus made. Look back up at Luke 21, verse 27. They will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Jesus is going to come back. Everybody's going to see it, and his people will be redeemed, bought out of slavery to enjoy all that he has won for them. See another picture of that same thing in our passage today. Look at 21, verse 35. It's right here. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. So who's going to see it? Everybody. It's going to come on all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Verse 36. Stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place. And to what? To stand before the Son of Man. To let this land, right? Know it. Do you know it? Do you remember it? Everyone will have a reckoning where they have to deal with the returning Jesus Christ. Where every thought, every word, every deed, every motive will be tested and weighed. And he will, he will show you your eternal destiny. You're going you're gonna to encounter the returning Son of God, Jesus Christ. He guarantees it, doesn't he? He guarantees it. You know, from if you were in the Old Covenant, especially towards the end, it must have seemed like forever the wait for Jesus to come the first time. Wouldn't it have seemed like forever? And we know that many promises about the coming of Jesus happened, what, 700 years before he came? That is so long. 700 years is so long. It must seem like it's never going to happen. He's never going to come. And some people took it that way. It's too long. It's never going to happen. Does God make promises that last that long and then still come to pass? I mean, here we are. Jesus made this promise that he would return in glory and everybody would see it. It's been a couple years since he made the promise. Okay? But did, even though it took so many years and it seemed like he'd never come, did he come the first time? Yes. And did he fulfill promise after promise, prophecy after prophecy? Did he come? Yes, his guarantee about Jerusalem being destroyed, the temple being ripped apart, did it come true? Yes, is he good for his word? Yes, is he going to return in glory? Bank on it. He's coming back. He's coming back. Everyone will see it. The first coming was in humility to serve and reconcile by dying for our sins. The second will be so different. 
He won't be coming in humility on a donkey uh, to die for sins. He will come back in judgment. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. It'll all be explicit and he'll reign forever. He'll judge evil. He'll restore righteousness. He'll remake the world. He's going to come back to guarantee. Do you believe that? It seems like that should be kind of important. If that's not true, we're all wasting our time right here. Go do something else. Get your yard work done. A couple weeks, watch football. Go do something else. If this, if this is true, though, that he's coming back, doesn't it just reorient everything? Jesus is coming back. He guarantees it. Second thing, or the, uh, the third thing he guaranteed here, especially for us today, what would the times be like before he comes back? Remember? It was something like blissful. And if you just claim it, you'll never get sick and you'll always be rich. Isn't that what it was like? Was it, were any of you here? That's what he said, right? It'll just be easy. All your relationships will be clean. No problems. No struggles. Success. Your best life now. Every day of Friday. Look what he said. Luke 21, 9. When you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must take place. But the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilences. And then he, later he talks about persecution. He talks about even betrayal within families over the issue of his reign as king. What will the times be like approaching his return? The word we used was tumultuous. Tumultuous. They will be tumultuous. And then good old Jesus, he always says things like this. There will be earthquakes, wars, famines, persecutions. Don't be afraid. I always want to raise my hand right here, you know. Excuse me? Yes, you in the back. That's all terrifying. That's all terrifying. Those things take away everything precious to you. Do you know that? Your job security, your home, your retirement, your family, your friends. It, it takes it all away, those things. How is it that I cannot be terrified? We looked at this last week, and the key is these two words. They must take place. And we saw that this is God's plan. He's in control, which means we can trust him to get us through it. He's going to be enough for us in the midst of it. They must take place. He's in control. And then also the word first. They must first take place. What's our hope as we endure tumultuous times? He's coming back. He's coming back. It's always, it's always the end in sight. It's always the light at the end of the tunnel in tumultuous times. He's coming back. He's coming back. Guarantees. Jerusalem will be judged. It happened. Jesus is going to come back. It's going to happen. And the times before his return will be what? Tumultuous, difficult. Jesus made these guarantees to us. I just want to ask you, do these guarantees affect the way you view your life, your expectations for your life? 
They affect your expectations. I don't want you to go around with a cloud over your head, right? There's things where Philippians is going to be about tenacious joy. Jesus wants his people to have joy. But should, should you be waiting for the politicians to bring utopia and harmony and peace? We want them to try. It's not going to happen. Should you put your hopes on that? The peace of the nations. You better not. Is, is everything always going to go well for you if you try your best and pray? No. You should expect that sometimes, often it won't. It doesn't mean you're not faithful. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you. Jesus promised these things must first take place. There's not like an extra room that Christians get to go sit in while the tumultuous times happen over here. We're in them. And he's going to come back. He's going to come back. He's going to come back. That's the guarantee. He's going to come back. The times will be tumultuous. Now we get into the danger. And the, the reason I bring out that first point is because tumultuous times will have an effect on your heart. They will grab at your heart. And so Jesus now gives a warning. Watch yourselves lest your, what's that next word? Hearts be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, cares of this life. Let's just work through these, some of these terms. What does Jesus mean by your heart? Is he saying, watch your aorta and your cholesterol? That might be important for you. We encourage it. That's not what he's talking about here. Heart. What does he mean by your heart? Your heart is your core self. Look at Luke 12, 34. Really important for understanding what Jesus means by the heart. Luke 12, 34. Where your, what? Your treasure is, your heart will be also. This teaches you what he's thinking about when he thinks about your heart. Your treasure. How do you feel about your treasure? You love it. The heart is what in you that, that loves. You want it. You hope for it. You serve it. You pursue it. Your heart is the, is the core self in you that wants and desires and hopes and dreams and goes to get to be happy, to be satisfied. Your loves, your wants, your values. And Jesus says, watch your heart. It could be weighed down. And that word is used later for the disciples when they're supposed to stay up and pray. And you remember what he said about their, their eyelids? Their eyelids were heavy, weighed down. You ever been so tired? It happens to older people sometimes when they're hanging out with the family at night. Have you ever seen it before? Everybody's laughing and talking. You look over in the corner and, you know, weighed down, not... Checking out, too tired. Hey, it's happened to me. I'm not judging anybody. Weighing down. This, Jesus says, this is what can happen to your heart in tumultuous times. It can't, it can't get up anymore. It's like, a, it's like going sailing and your boat has pounds and pounds of barnacles on the bottom. And it won't move through the water anymore. It's weighed down. It's murked down. It's not, it's not active your heart could be weighed down, but these are symbolic things, right? He's not talking about your aorta. He's talking about your core self and your desires. Weighed down. He's not talking about eyelids. What can weigh down a heart? Well, what does, heart, what does a heart do? It loves. So what can weigh down your heart? The wrong loves. Watch out for the wrong loves. Look at these words he uses. Watch out, lest your hearts be weighed down 
with dissipation. Dissipation is like is is the word that happens as a result of the reckless party. It's literally the, the meaning is rather like hangover. You ate too much and you drank way too much, and now you're just you you've lost your dignity. You've lost what you're about. It was far too much of a good thing, so that good thing has now become a sour and bitter thing. It's too much of a good thing, so that's become a sour thing. Watch out, lest your heart be weighed down with dissipation. I don't think he's talking to his disciples about their problem with drunkenness on Fridays. It's far bigger than that, right? He's talking about the heart, and it's the idea that your heart can be as if it were drunk, with too much of this life's good things. Drunkenness, the drunkenness of the heart. We know what drunkenness is. So much you've lost your your control. You've lost self-control. You've lost your direction. You've lost your common sense. Your heart can be like that because of what it loves. Inordinate loves. The the word inordinate means excessive, making good things the ultimate thing so that they are now a bitter thing. Do you know that can happen? Take a good thing, make it the ultimate thing. It will become a bitter thing. You can do it with your kids. You can do it with romance. You can do it with work. You can do it with money. You can do it with sex. You can do it with pleasures. You can do it with social media. You can do it with uh, food. You can do it with any good thing. Make it the ultimate thing. It'll be a bitter thing. Your heart will be weighed down. Then Jesus in his wisdom throws another angle at this. So you have dissipation, drunkenness. That sounds like too much kind of, it's, it's, a, it's a heart that's so into the pleasures of this life. Look what he throws at us next. Your heart may be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness. And what was that next one? And what? Cares of this life. Anxieties. Here's what's so amazing, you know. Uh, some of us could be weighed down with pleasures of this life, and others could say, oh, I don't do that. But those people are weighed down with anxieties about how things are going, about this person, about that situation, worried. Any of you struggle with worry and anxiety? Okay. I do. The, the three of us in here are honest. Okay. So I, I, I see that hand. Okay. I know the truth. Weighed down with anxieties. Your heart can be weighed down with the cares of this life. Obsessed with the possibility of losing the treasures of this life. In each case, dissipation, drunkenness, anxieties, what's the heart all about? Here and now. It's all about here and now. In each case. Watch your heart. Watch your heart. I was thinking of Jesus coming in here to watch your heart and the heart being about what it loves. And I, th- I think it's, <laughs> this blows me away. And I think our culture almost can't even hear it. I wonder if some of us can even hear it. Our, our culture tells you that if you love something, you just can't help that, right? That's who you are. And so what must you do? You must follow what you want and what you love. What else is there? So that is who you are, what you love, and you must do it. You love it. And who is anyone to judge you in that? Do you realize what Jesus command here? He just blew that up. 
What did he tell you about your loves? Some of them are wrong. Just because you love it doesn't mean that you should love it. Does he have the right to say that? To weed all the way down into your heart and tell you some of the things you naturally love and the things you naturally want, you shouldn't actually love those. In fact, he says to his people, I want you to have the wisdom and power to be able to look at your own loves because you have a deeper love now and say, this one's good, let's foster that. This one's not good, this one's out of whack. This needs to change to where you are actually participating with God in reorienting what you love. That's the Christian life. You realize conversion was a new love? You didn't care about Jesus before. Totally uh, doesn't matter to you. You had some religious this and that. But then something happened to you, right? Uh, Many of you, you know this. Something happened to you, and all of a sudden you went, oh, I need Jesus. It was a new love. That's, you trusted him. That's faith. You, tr- you trusted him. I need Jesus. And now sanctification is God saying to you, I'm going to keep working on your loves. You keep messing with you. You still love some things. You, you love this too much. You shouldn't love that at all. You don't love this enough. Let's work on that. That's what he's doing with you. And guess what Jesus calls you to do in this passage? You are to partner with God in reorienting your loves so that you love what he loves in the way that he loves it. Isn't that incredible? What an invitation that he does that, and he wants to bring us to that. But the warning is, you have to do it. You have to do it. Watch your heart. You know, I was thinking of this in regard to tumultuous times. When times are hard, I think, I think we can see this in human experience. There's kind of this one side of like, times are hard. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Let's just celebrate what we have. The world around us is burning. What can we do? Eat, drink, be merry, tomorrow we die. Even then, what's the focus on? Right here. Then there's the other side. Uh, The world's going to hell. It's all tumultuous. Hide, worry, be anxious. Where's the focus? Right here. What happens if your focus is on the return of Jesus? Changes everything. If your focus is on the return of Jesus, it changes everything. Watch your heart. Here's the danger. Watch yourselves, lest your heart be weighed down with dissipation and cares of this life. Look at the end of verse 34 with me. Watch yourselves, lest your heart be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a what? Like a trap. What's that day in context? Jesus comes back, and what's it like? A trap. Like a wild animal in the forest, you stepped on it, it grabbed you, you're in trouble, it's over. A trap. Jesus' warning is that if you don't watch your heart, instead of his second coming being rescue and celebration, it'll be a trap. You're caught red-handed. It's over. That's why I told you this is a pretty, pretty strong warning. What's he saying? What's he saying? To Jesus, the issue of your heart and what it loves is, is, is about the reality of your faith. It's about whether or not you're actually a Christian. That's what he's saying. 
And there, there's a parallel passage, I think, that, that fits like a glove with this. It helps us understand what Jesus is saying. Do you remember the parable of the sower? Okay, parable of the sower. It's the idea there's a guy sowing, sowing seed, right, for a crop. And so in, in context, that parable, the sower is somebody communicating the news about Jesus, communicating the gospel. The seed is the gospel itself, okay? This is who Jesus is. This is what he's done. And the soils represent human hearts. Some soils, you remember, they're like sidewalks. You drop the seed, ting, 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 the bird eats it. Other soils are full of weeds, and the seed gets a little start, but then the weeds choke it out. It doesn't last. Other soil is full of rocks, right? And so the seed gets a little start, but it's too rocky. It doesn't grow. It doesn't endure. And none of those three seeds are people who are actually Christians. The first person is the explicit. That is baloney. Get out of here. I don't want it. The second two are like, oh, yeah, Jesus. It doesn't last. It's not real. Look at what Jesus says when he teaches this parable, Luke 8, 11. Luke 8, 11. The parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Do you see this is about salvation? Verse 13, the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but what? They have no root. They believe for a while. Time of testing fall away. When it gets hard to be a Christian, I wanted comfort more than Jesus. If I can't have Jesus and comfort, I'll take comfort and leave Jesus. Look at what he says about the last soil, verse 14. As for what fell among the thorns, those, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by what? The cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit is not mature. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about here in Luke 21. Watch your heart that it not be weighed down. Pleasures and cares of this life. And that day will be like a trap. Literally, I wondered if this illustration was too strong. I don't think so. It'll be like getting caught red-handed with an adulterous lover. Because Jesus will catch you red-handed with an adulterous heart. Where the heart loved this more than him. It'll be like a trap. Watch your heart. True faith in Christ grows in loving Jesus most, doesn't it? It does. It grows in loving Jesus most. Now the guidance. Now the guidance. So he gives us his disciples' advice. It's stronger than advice, but it is advice. It's guidance. It's teaching. Watch yourself. Okay, number one. What do you need to watch, church? You sitting right here today. What do you need to look at this afternoon, this week, for the rest of your life? You need to look at your heart. And what does that mean? What do I love? How much do I love it? How does that play out in my life? And does it fit with what God wants me to love according to his word? We must do that. Watch your heart. Proverbs 4.23 is so amazing. Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. You think of how hard you work on your career, your business, your garden, 
your fantasy football team, your, your anything, your hobbies, fine, fine, good things. Do we work on keeping our hearts? It's more important than anything. From it flow the springs of life. I was just thinking here how valuable the regular disciplines of a local church are. Sometimes there's nothing real flashy. Sometimes there's nothing really exciting about getting up early and reading your Bible or going to church again on a Sunday morning. But do you realize that these things, properly done with proper focus, these are things that help you keep your heart? How do you hear the story of Jesus again? Let's get together. Let's look at his word. How do you know you're valuing what you should value on a Thursday? Are you looking at his word? Are you listening to him? Is he ordering what you love? Are you able to say, Jesus, I'm struggling with this love. I know you hate what I love here. Help me. Are you meeting with other Christians and talking about your hearts? Got to keep your heart. Watch what you love. Second, watch what you anticipate. Watch what you anticipate. This is tricky. I just had an awesome vacation this summer, and I anticipated it quite a bit. I don't regret that. I think, are you allowed to enjoy and love good things that God made on this world? Yeah, I can find tons of verses about that, right? It's biblical. You are allowed to love good things that God made. Praise God. Don't love them too much. Oh, don't love them too much. And when we think about what we anticipate, a question that's challenging my heart is, how much do I rejoice in, think about, ponder upon, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. Do you anticipate it? Do you want it? Do you look to it? Are you ready for it? He's coming back. This has to be part of our hearts, doesn't it? He's coming back. Watch what you love. Watch what you anticipate, and then look at what he says. Pray for strength to escape and stand. Pray for, escape, for strength to escape and stand. Now, what does he mean by pray for strength to escape? Do you think, again, in context, you're like, well, there's tumultuous times, earthquakes, famines, wars, persecution. Dear Lord, please get me out of all the hard times. I've made it to, you know, pleasure bubble. No problems. I escaped. Is that what this means in context, church? If escape doesn't mean taken out of the hard times, then what does it mean? Look, what, look at Luke 21, 16. 21, 16. This is about persecution from last week. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you, they will put to death. Some of you, they will what? Put to death. So in some way, some of them are not going to escape in the sense of, ah, everything's easy. That's not going to happen. Verse 17, you will be hated by all for my namesake, but not a hair of your head will perish. And we thought about that last week, right? So I'm going to die, but not a hair of my head will perish? Help me out here. And I think Jesus would say, what's dying going to do to you? Uh, kill me? <laughs> to live is Christ. To die is, help me, you remember? Gain. Gain. If you know that, they, they can get you, but they can't get you. He's going to be enough for you. Verse 19, by your what do you, you gain your lives? By your what? Endurance. The sign that someone is a true Christian 
is that they will and truly endure until the end. It doesn't mean there's no ups and downs. There can be some big downs. But a true Christian will truly endure until the end. And tragically, sadly, people can look like Christians, really good Christians, leaderful Christians. We've seen it just this summer. And then deny the faith. Hey, Lord knows, if they're his, they'll come back. But they will come back if they're his. A true Christian is going to make it to the end. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. So what does it mean to pray to escape? The way you escape is faithful endurance. Paul's going to say that in Philippians. I pray that I will be delivered. What do you mean delivered, Paul? I'm not saying I hope I don't get my head cut off, although that would be okay. I'm praying that Christ would be honored in me when I get my head cut off. That's my deliverance. That's my escape. To be faithful to Christ through whatever comes. And you know what's so amazing? What did Jesus tell you to do? Do what to escape? Anybody remember? Pray. Why do you need to pray that you'll escape? Because you won't escape without his help. (laughs) You can't do it. You can't do it. If you look at this and go, I don't think I can do it. You pass the first class. (laughs) You can't do it. Keep going to second class. He can't do it. He can enable you to do it. He will enable you to do it. Pray that you can escape. What's it mean? When tumultuous times come after your heart, pray that you can endure faithfully by loving the right things. That's what he's saying. Pray that you'll have strength to escape. Pray that you'll have strength to stand before the Son of Man. Now just imagine, if you can, whatever it's like, For the Son of Man to return, and he's staring at you, and you're staring at him. How many of you envision yourselves standing? (laughs) Are you kidding me? (sighs) But this is saying that you'll stand. And what it means is that, this word means, you'll be established in his presence. You'll belong in his presence. I don't doubt that we'll all fall on our knee, but I think Jesus will go, stand up. You're mine. This is what Jesus was talking about in his parable, Luke 19, 17. For those who were faithful, Luke 19, 17, what will Jesus say to them? Well done, good servant. Because you've been faithful a little bit, you'll have authority over 10 cities. Now, whatever that means, symbolic, He's just going to lavish you with grace for your faithfulness that he enabled. Isn't that great? He's going to lavish you with grace for your faithfulness that he enabled, and you'll stand in his presence. Almost like, I don't think I should be here. And he'll, he himself will say, stand up. You're mine. You belong. How do you get the strength to stand in his presence? Do you remember? Pray. I know many of us enjoy devotional life. I'm getting struck here. I don't pray about this enough, like explicitly. What is Jesus telling you to pray for when you pray, at least sometimes? Pray that you will endure faithfully and love what he loves so that when he comes, 
the reality of your faith will be vindicated and you will stand in his presence. Pray for that. Because again, why do you have to pray for it? You can't do it on your own. You can't do it. You need him and he will come through. Pray. Pray. uh, Very soon, right, we're going to get into a little bit of stories about where Jesus is betrayed. And, um, you know, Jesus will say to his disciples, you're all going to run. You're all going to run. What's Peter going to say to Jesus when Jesus says, you're all going to run? Well, you know, they might, Jesus. But I won't. I'm Peter, which means rock. Rock on, you know. I will stand with you to the end. Yeah, no, you won't. Betray three times. I don't think Peter was lying. I think he meant it. He just didn't know how weak he really was. None of us really know that. Maybe you felt it a few times. God is strong. He comes through for his people. Jesus prayed for Peter. He kept him. He'll keep us. But this attitude of, I need your help to endure through these times faithfully and love what you want me to love. What do we need to do? Pray. Pray for it. That's the guidance. Guaranteed tumultuous times, then Jesus returns. Danger. Heart weighed down to love the now more than Jesus. Danger. Don't do it. Guidance. Watch what you love. Watch what you anticipate. Pray that you'll love him most. Pray. We get verse 37 and 38. We're dragged back into the narrative of this week and the story of what Jesus is doing. Luke kind of sums it up. Next week, we, we, we begin to see um, the plans of the, the priests and the scribes and Judas come to fruition, and uh, it will be nearly the end. I, I think this story is Wednesday. He's betrayed Thursday night. He's on a cross Friday. It's going to come quick. Jesus will be betrayed, arrested, falsely tried, executed on a cross. We know what's going to happen. What's going to happen after the cross? He's going to rise from the dead. And I was, getting, I was getting to this part in the text, and I was thinking, okay, what unbarnacles my heart? What, uh, uh, what, what gets my heart out of this, out of this warning? I've got to pray on this. Is there more? I'm looking through Luke. I want to share this with you at the end. The gift. The gift. I think Luke intends it. After his resurrection, Jesus goes on a walk with his disciples. The road to Emmaus. Have you heard that one? He goes on a walk with his disciples. And this huge theological conversation. But the irony is they don't know he's the resurrected Jesus. He hides that from them. So they have this conversation. You know, don't, you, don't you know what happened this week? They say to him, and you know, as a reader, we're laughing. Because <laughs> it happened to him this week. And yes, he does know. <laughs> Look what he says, Luke 21, 25. This is the end of their conversation on this road. He said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures the things concerning what? Himself. Look what these disciples say after they hear this. Verse 32. They said to each other, Did not, what? Our hearts burn 
within us, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. I can't help but see a difference between a weighed down heart and what does Luke now give us? A burning heart. A burning heart. And what is their heart burning for? Who Jesus is and what he's done from the scriptures. It's burning. It's burning. What, what are they loving in that moment? Him and his work on their behalf. Their hearts burn with the gospel. You know, I don't know what it's like for you. You're sitting here. You're, you're listening in. Hopefully you're looking at your heart and what you love. And you're like, okay, I got to pray. I got I to gotta read. I got to work on this. And then you kind of feel like you run into a wall. Well, what now? What it, how do you get your heart to burn? Look at Jesus. Look at his glory, his beauty. Look at how he fulfills the scriptures. Look again at how he came for you. For you. Look again at how he died for you. Listen, folks, at Found of Life, we don't believe that Jesus just died generically for sins. We believe that Jesus died personally for your sins, the sins of all who would trust in him. He died for your sins. He didn't die for sins so that you can come one day uh, with your faith card and get what you need. He died for your sins on that cross so that you could have faith. He loves you. If you trust in him, you're forgiven. He rose for your justification. When Jesus rose from the dead, the Father said, perfect, account that to all his people. You're righteous in him, you're his, you're adopted as a child. He's going to come for you. What's he going to give you when he comes? You remember what he wants to share with you? Just his kingdom. Look again at the gospel. You know, when you, when you stand before the Son of Man, can you do that in your own strength? Can you do that in your own goodness? How many of you are going to stand in front of the Son of Man and be like, I was good enough. Did you see my neighbor? I was so much better than my neighbor. Is anyone going to pull that one out when you stand before the Son of Man? Really? You're a good person. Really? Let's try on the law and see how good you are. Never mind. Let's just admit it all. We're failures. I messed it up. I'm not good enough. How can I stand? Jesus will give you his perfection and you'll stand in him. You'll stand before him in him. Can you see it? Does your heart burn with the glory of who he is and his grace towards you? I haven't watched my heart enough, have you? My heart's been weighed down sometimes, has yours? I don't anticipate his return enough, do you? But if I look to him, his righteousness is mine. And that's what stirs me to want to look to his return again. That's what stirs me to want to watch my heart again. Because I see his love for me and I want to respond in love for him. And he looks better than anything else. That's how you endure. Treasure that gospel. Treasure the gift 
of the gospel. Come home to him every day. Have a clean heart that loves him because he's loved you first. Then instead of a trap when he comes, it'll be a celebration. Because we'll look at each other and go, I know you. He knows you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, there are tumultuous times. Our hearts do get weighed down. We mourn when people don't endure. We want to make it to the end. Help us watch our hearts. Help us be a church where we watch our hearts, where we examine what we love, and where we pray to love what you love because you have loved us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming, for your life, for your death, for your resurrection, for your spirit who dwells within us. Form our hearts to love what you love. Enable us to endure to the end and stand in your presence. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.